Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. What is going on, everybody? We are back with Faked Podcasts, okay? So this one might hit you right in the gut. And when I say that, I'm trying to be funny because we're talking about counterfeit food this time, okay? Counterfeit food's one of those things that you think you've kind of perfected, you know? You've eaten food for, well, however long you've been alive, that's how long you've been eating food. And you've been determining whether that food is good or not, real or not, you know, just like air. You know, you're not going out questioning whether the air, there is quality of air that can change, but um, you're not questioning whether it's real or not. But um, there is food out there that is fake and it's everywhere. Okay, gentlemen, and it is not unique to a certain country, a certain region, or a certain class because it is everywhere. Okay, food for thought. No pun intended. Indeed, counterfeit food or economically motivated uh, adulteration, as they call it. Um, it's formally called that. I don't call it that. It's a real issue in grocery stores, restaurants, and online food stores everywhere. Manufacturers may alter their products by cutting a high-quality food with an inferior product, olive oil, for example. They may use fancy language on the label to throw out, uh, throw you for a loop, truffle oil, perhaps, Uh, They may also just outright lie, which is very likely to happen as well. So we did talk about coffee at an earlier time, but we're going to go into more of the how it aligns in the grocery aisle. So if you haven't listened to our fake coffee episode, I recommend going back to that, checking it out. Because that's going to expound upon what I'm going to very lightly brush on here. So, some food companies and countries are highly protective and litigious of terms and labels. And that helps you know, uh, it helps you know that you're getting the product you're promised. So, grape growers in the Champagne region of France, for example, they don't allow anyone who doesn't grow the fruit for their sparkling wine on their turf to use the word. So it's very territorial. Um, You can't have anything outside of Champagne, France, you have to call it sparkling wine or some facsimile thereof. You know, you can call it bubbly grapes. I don't know. You know, I'm not part of the whole industry making up these names for that. So the U.S. Food and Drug Administration or the FDA, as most people know, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is the USDA, have a lot of rules and regulations that specify what can and cannot be called a specific food name. Unfortunately, enforcement of these rules are often lax, and who can blame them? They're also trying to keep us safe from dangerous medications and potentially deadly lettuce. So, kind of got their hands full. You know, you kind of assume if you're in this government agency, a lot of these people are in it for the long run. So they're making quality products. They're not trying to cheat the system. But little do they know there in America, we will find a way to make it cheaper and somehow make it terrible. So that leaves the search for fraudulent food up to us. It's not always easy. Okay. We've all been fooled and we just don't know it. 
But these tips can help you spot a fake before you take it home with you, okay? First off, let's start with olive oil. I'm not sure how many of you guys are olive oil exclusive individuals, but I do enjoy a good olive oil. And when I say that, I do enjoy a good olive oil because there's definitely a difference in quality between olive oils. And there's a lot of language on there that might throw you for a loop, okay? It might seem uh, better than it is strictly because uh, they're putting the word extra and extra and virgin and virgin extra and all these different names, you know, that make it seem cooler than it is, okay? You buy the most elegant bottle on the grocery store shelf. You know, the one with the Brunswick green glass, gold paper wrappings, and ornately scripted label, okay? Looks much like a bottle of wine. It's not in the middle of the shelves. It's at the top, okay? And, uh, you know, they do that just to, uh, you know, top shelf it. So, it's supposed to be more authentic, but is it? Perhaps but the odds really aren't in your favor. Olive oil is one of the most adulterated foods in the grocery store and restaurant industry. Indeed, one series of studies with olive oil samples from the five top selling U.S. grocery brands found that 73% of the samples failed to meet the standard of the International Oil Council, or Olive, (laughs) Olive Council, so the IOC. Yes, that's a real council. So olive oil manufacturers may cut their expensive extra virgin olive oil with an inferior olive oil or worse, another type of oil altogether, sunbean or soybean, sunflower, you know, that was kind of a hybrid there. All the like grape seed, all that kind of stuff. They cut it with it. So it may say extra virgin. However, it could be muddled, you know, that olive oil virginity has been taken. I don't know. That's a... Yeah, I guess there was a joke there somewhere. So how to spot a fake? First, look at the label. Bottles that say from Italy or bottled in Italy may not be legitimately from Italy. So companies can import oil into Italy, package it, ship it out, and add the Italian claim onto it. Legitimate olive oils are harvested in or made in Italy. So make sure to be looking for that dicey language bottled in Italy does not mean it is was produced in Italy or from Italy does not mean it was produced in Italy. Those olives may have never seen Italian sweet, sweet soil. So you can also just stick to brands, you know, are legitimate and trustworthy. The same study that found all the fake oil found that none of the olive oils they tested from Australia and California were fake. So just 11% of the Italian brands failed the IOC test. And obviously everybody knows, you know, they're known for their olives. So people want to masquerade as Italian olive oil, but there's a cost that comes with that. So obviously they're going to fake it because that margin, you know, increases. So look for label additions like harvest date and a seal from the city or region where the oil was pressed and bottled. So they're proud of what they do. Italian EVOO makers are proud of their product and clues to the origin of the bottle you hold in the hand help you know you can trust the oil, okay? Next up, we're gonna be talking about seafood. If you order halibut at a restaurant, will you know if that white block of seasoned fish really is halibut or could it be much less expensive cod to the untrained eye? It's kind of hard to know. 
That may be precisely why so many restaurant and grocery stores have mislabeled food or used false fish identifications. A 2013 study from Oceana found that 38% of all restaurant fish samples they tested were mislabeled. The wrong fish was being served. In sushi restaurants, it's worse, okay? Also, three quarters of fish samples from sushi restaurants were imposters. Okay, almost three quarters of them. That is insane. Grocery stores fared a bit better. Just 18% of fish in the retail space was incorrectly labeled. Okay, so the same study found that snapper and tuna were most likely to be improperly labeled. Nearly 88% of those fish samples were false. Salmon, on the other hand, was mislabeled just 7% of the time because its color is quite distinctive and there is ways around that which we could be talking about in a different one of how you know maybe they color the fish or something so we may talk about that later so that's crazy but salmon has such a distinct flavor and a distinct color that you know yeah you could you could definitely tell so how to spot a fake fish you become you could become a fish expert which is pretty unlikely because that requires a, being a fishmonger requires, you know, heavily schooling and things like that. So you can just listen to us. So, or you can find a fishmonger, you know, and trust. So you could find somebody that's got the information, which is always good to have a fishmonger in your friend's repertoire. That is one of the life lessons that I have learned the hard way. So when you're away from your supplier or shopping sales at an unfamiliar store, you can always use Google to closely compare images. Of course, if the fish is in a bisque or soup, it'll be difficult to know. So species substitution is okay when you're made aware of the switch. It's not okay when you don't know it's happening and you have to pay more. That is no bueno, okay? That happens a lot. White fish, for example, is kind of the ambiguous term. However, if you go somewhere and it's almost like uh, the Wagyu, Beef, you know, if they say Wagyu beef uh, burger and it's 19 bucks, you're going to bet your sweet bippy that is not Wagyu beef because Wagyu beef, when cooked, renders equally and it's going to spread apart from itself. It's not going to coagulate like a burger. You're not going to be able to push it down. So things like that, you just kind of have to know the, you know, the bonding of the meat. You have to know how it renders out. You have to know how it reacts And if you know that kind of stuff with cooking, there's a lot of time where you could use that information and tell that it is fake smell as well, okay? We're going to move on. Parmesan cheese. By By now, you've probably heard about or even reading the 2016 Bloomberg study that detailed how some cheese manufacturers in the United States were adding wood pulp to their Parmesan cheese products the pre-shredded kind in the tubs and bags, not like the wheel variety. So this wood pulp, also known as cellulose, is an approved additive in foods. Welcome to America. So it's safe for consumption. It even helps prevent moisture buildup and in foods prone to quickly molding like cheese. That's important. That's why that cheese can last decades in your fridge. It's found at the back of every single bachelor's fridge, I would say. Still intact and edible. So, but the report found that cheesemakers were adding more than the approved percentage, sometimes a lot more. So, you know, there was wood pulp in there. They were also, in some cases, adding cheap cheddar and trying to pass it off as more expensive parm. 
Bloomberg even reported that the FDA discovered some cheese products, such as Market Pantry's 100% grated Parmesan cheese, had no actual Parmesan at all. So that is crazy. 100% grated cheese, Parmesan cheese, might I add, had no Parmesan in it. That is nuts. So how to spot a fake when we're talking about some of that sweet parm, okay? Read the label. The company probably has to tell you if they're ripping you off. You just might not always see it. If ingredients like cellulose make the fine print, you're being had. Okay, better yet, buy and grate your own parm. You can't fake that. Cut a wedge straight from a beautiful wheel of Parmesan and DIY your finely grated cheese. If you're willing to splurge, Parmigiano Reggiano is a bit more expensive than classic parm, but it's a legally protected term. Okay, so if your cheese says it's real, it's real. So Parmesan, ambiguous, Parmigiano Reggiano, which is, might I add, is so much tastier anyways. Uh, I guess maybe I've never had pure parm. Even when I was in Italy, you know, Parmigiano Reggiano is, and buffalo mozzarella is what they served. And gosh, was it good. So that's the Parmesan cheese game. That's how you cut it. Let's jump into coffee. We did talk about this before. So the one, this one's a, a wee bit upsetting, okay? Especially for you three cups per day coffee connoisseurs. Some pre-ground coffee is cut with twigs, stone, corn husks, and other ingredients that we mentioned in a previous podcast in order to increase the weight of the grinds and decrease the amount of product the manufacturer has to use for one bag of coffee grounds. Okay? I know it's disgusting for something that shouldn't be modeled with, something so pure, so vital to people. How do we spot fakes, though? Okay, you might not be able to, unless your nose can sort out the terroir of Colombia's best beans. If you can't become a trained coffee taster, you can DIY your way out of the dilemma by buying whole beans and grinding your own just before boiling and serving. So it seems, as you can see, a lot of these companies are taking advantage of the convenience factor. So if you do these things yourself, you're not going to run into a lot of these fakes. So... Food might be a little, you know, more involved, but you are getting that true stuff and you're you're getting your money's worth. So for convenience sake, you're losing money by, by paying more, which is, uh, you know, quite the pickle there. And don't get me started on fake pickles. No, just kidding. I actually couldn't find any in that. Perfect. The pickle industry is perfect. Always has been. How to spot a fake coffee. Really, that's a win for your taste buds, grinding it yourself. Coffee that remains ground for too long loses a great deal of its flavor, intensity, and vigor. If you grind your own, you get the utmost flavor in every cup, and it sounds like I'm trying to sell you coffee here. So next up, and there was a Netflix documentary called, oh geez, it was like, um, basically along the lines of like crooked or basically just these industries that were so corrupt. Um, I don't know. They did the avocado industry and all this stuff. So in recent years, Chinese importers have been embroiled in a sticky honey scandal as they were importing honey that, well, wasn't honey at all. Or if it was, it was diluted with subpar ingredients like high fructose corn syrup er, and beet sugar. They were busted and heavy tariffs were put in place. But instead of clearing up their game, they just shipped their honey to neighboring countries and exported from there. Always getting around it. 
They're not the only fakers either. Some honey is indeed cut with cheap sugar. Others may label average clover honey as an exotic varietal and upcharge you the difference. So that's another thing is knowing the difference between bee honey, clover honey, all these different types of honey. So how to spot a fake when we're talking about honey. Read the label. It should say only honey. If anything else is listed, you're not getting the authentic product. You can also find a local beekeeper and ask them to be your supplier. Most small producers will be happy to show you their you know, their hives, and they won't filter the pollen out uh, of their honey either. So sometimes they will strictly give you the honeycomb, and that's going to have some of that too. Um, honey organizations say honey isn't honey if it's been filtered, and other people disagree with that too, but I don't know much about the honey industry, but I guess unfiltered honey is true honey. Okay. Next, we're going to be talking about spices. You know all the spices in your, the crazy amount of uh, plain branding spices you've got, okay? Not all spices fall victim to the fraud issues, but certain ones, saffron and paprika, for example, are more likely to be fraudulent or diluted with less expensive spices. In fact, one study from 1995, so don't panic, found that paprika was cut with ground brick, Today, ultra-expensive saffron may be mixed with marigold flowers, chalk, or even plastic threads. So paprika and black pepper may be cut with other cheaper products like ground seeds and plant stems. Okay, so how do, how do you spot a fake when it comes to spices? I mean, you throw it in your food. Uh, usually it, you know, dissolves and it's gone. And, you know, as long as there was a trace of it in it, you just put more in. So it's tricky. So most spice bottles don't list ingredients. And truthfully, they just might not tell the truth, okay? If the price is too good to be true, the spice may not be real. This is especially the case for expensive saffron. I pay about $14 for the smallest bottle. It gives me like 100 strands Um, But I understand the process in which uh, you procure saffron uh, from the croak. It's uh, hand-delivered. So there's no machinery that handles it. So that's why, and it's only produced in Iran. So you know where it's coming from. You know the price point. So consider buying whole spices and grinding yourselves. Uh, You can also look for reputable spice stores as well. Okay, last but not least, we're going to be tra- talking about truffle oil in the early augs. Okay, the great truffle oil scam was une- unearthed. The glistening bottles of prized oil were revealed as frauds, fakes, phonies, but they didn't stop many chefs from using the oil that tastes almost like real truffle, as Skittles taste like the rainbow. Still today, most truffle oil is a synthetic mix of olive oil and flavoring compounds like. 2,4-dithypenamine. Now, doesn't that sound delicious? Yeah, some people are totally okay with eating a fraudulent product. So as long as you know you're not eating anything that was made with those semi-precious truffles, feel free to dig into pizza drizzled with truffle oil or a truffle pasta doused with a heavy dose because it's not real. It would be way too expensive. Truffles go for hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on size. And the oil is no different. So how do you spot a fake? This one's pretty easy because it's almost all fake. But you can read the labels if you think you have spotted a real one. Ingredients should be as simple as extra virgin olive oil and truffle. 
if you spot anything else, it may not be legitimate. And that pretty much sums up this entirety thing or in the entire episode. So this was part one of a part two series when we're talking about counterfeit food. The next one, we're going to be talking about food for commercials. This one's a fun one because all the delicious food you see in like pizza commercials and burger commercials, those aren't real. I know you may have seen a video on there, but I want to go expound upon it a little more. I want to get into it. I want to dig into it. But um, I think that one's going to be a pretty exciting one. And if you guys haven't checked us out yet, I would say check us out on Facebook. We are on there. We don't do a ton on it, but I do want to kind of amass some individuals first. So then once we do... um, get more into it and more discussions i would like to you know talk with people about what they want to hear next and if any questions uh, i could give some sources on things so guys remember with faked items there are those who produce them those who purchase them and those that listen to this podcast i will see you guys in the next episode